0: Hello, you're listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast. Whether you're at work, driving in your car, or getting your workout on, we hope and pray that what you hear today will fill your spirit. Come, join us as we walk through God's Word together. We're going to be picking up, like I said, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 5, uh, verses 12 through 42. Um, And the lesson aimed for us today is, is hopefully, right, that we would not let ultimately the threat of persecution cause us to cease proclaiming the complete message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what uh, the hope is after we go through this uh, passage of Scripture that we kind of walk away with, in addition to some other things. So, let's um, go ahead. I- I'm going to um, read this uh, passage of Scripture. It is uh, 30 verses, uh, so you, you don't need to stand or anything like that unless you are just led to do so. I'm not telling you that you can't, and I'm not telling you that you should. I'm just saying that uh, you do what the Lord is leading you to do, but since it is 30 verses, it's going to be a little longer than some of the verses that we read, but I think it's important for us to read through them all, um, and, uh, and so uh, let's go ahead and do this. I'll be reading from the The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them, the apostles, brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside." Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. A teacher of the law held in honor by all the people stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, they being the Sadducees, the council, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thudius rose up and claiming to be somebody and a number of men, about 400 joined him. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. hmm Just for a few minutes, I want to talk about worthy to suffer dishonor for Christ. Uh, and look, let's not be remiss. Let's just say a quick prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you now expressly needing to hear from you. Don't need to hear from me. Don't need to hear my thoughts, what I think. But we need to hear from you, God. As I've often said, I don't need your help to preach this message, but I need you to preach this message because you're the only one who can do what you said you would do in your word, and that is make sure that your word does not return to you void, but that it accomplishes everything for which you sent it forth. So, God, we stand in confident hope on that declaration that as your word goes out, it is accomplishing things in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, look, just for a quick introduction, I'm not going to be here long, but I just thought about this as, uh, this morning as I was getting up, actually, because I was thinking, man, what kind of introduction could I do, and, and how do I kind of set the stage for everything? And, and I'm going coming around this a little bit uh, uh, back door, but anybody in here familiar with the game Taboo? Yeah, I saw a hand, I heard some laughing, I see. let me just see, who's played Taboo? Okay, so enough people in here will understand what I'm saying. So for those of you who don't know, taboo is, is basically, it's kind of like charades, but you can talk, but at the same time, there's certain things you can't say. So in the game, you, you have this card, and the top of the card is the word you're trying to get your team to guess, but underneath that word are all these phrases and or words that you cannot say. So I'm trying to get you to say dog, but I can't say bark I can't say leash, can't say Snoopy or scooby you know, all these things that instantly you'd be like, oh, I can't say opposite of cat, you know, all those kinds of things, because it'd be too easy. So I've got to figure out a way, Pete, to get you to, to recognize and to do what I'm wanting you to do above the line without saying certain things below the line. Hmm. Now you're thinking, what does that have to do with all of that you just read? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm gonna help you out. Because I think sometimes our church life is kind of like a game of taboo as it pertains to the Holy Spirit. What do I mean? What do I mean? What do I mean? Well, there's all these things the church is trying to do above the line. And We're trying to evangelize. We're trying to preach. We're trying to minister. We're trying to serve the community. We're trying to grow. We're trying to do all these things, and when we talk about doing those things, there's all these words we're not allowed to say. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. We have plans. Don't get me wrong. We're trying to make things happen. We, we've got visions and strategists, and you can even bring in people from the outside that will help strategize with your church and plan and give you a one, three, five-year business plan and what is your—all that. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but what I am saying is that we have a tendency to sometimes act like the church is to move forward kind of without the Holy Spirit— don't get me wrong. We, we, we know that the Holy Spirit is involved in salvation. But a lot of times we think when it comes to the doing of church, it's up to the members. How do I know? How do I know? How do I know? Well, that's because sometimes in our churches when we're looking for people to, to be in certain positions in certain places, we look at their resumes before we go before the Lord. Right? Right? And I'm not saying that if you have an impressive resume then you can't be useful for them, but what I am saying is that we tend to forget about the role of the Holy Spirit, not just in the saving of the church, but even in the movement of the church. I open up with that because I think the same thing can happen to us even as we're reading Acts because it's all the way back in Acts chapter 2, that we hear mostly about the filling and the showing up of the Holy Spirit, so to, so, to believe, uh, so to speak, in the apostles. And then we hear about all of these things that the apostles in the early church are doing, and if we're not careful, Brother Charles, we can forget that they're not operating under their own power. Why is that dangerous? Well, that's dangerous because after I flip past Acts chapter 2, I start seeing all these things that the church is doing, and I began looking around and saying, man, this is what we need to be doing. We need to be about this. And again, I'm not saying that that's not the right way to look at it, but if we're looking at it thinking that the only difference between the church today and the church then is some program that we just haven't implemented, we're playing a spiritual game of taboo. All this stuff we want to do, but no one's allowed to say Holy Spirit. So, I say that and, and and I share that with us because I want to make sure that nothing we talk about today, nothing that we hear today, nothing that we've heard before, nothing that we'll continue to hear as we move through this Acts series, is not seen through the lens and the context of the filling of the Holy Spirit. Because if not, we'll we'll fall into the trap of, church, we need to get busy. And I'm not saying we don't need to get busy, but we need to be busy in the right places, in the right spaces, at the right time, using the right means and the right methods. And the only way we can know that is by the agency of the Holy Spirit. Let me also just, let me say this one thing, and then we're going to get into my notes for sure, for sure, for sure. Because <sighs> some people may say, Charles, you, you're making too big of a deal about this. I'm not saying anybody in here, but I'm just saying somebody might say. <sighs> and, and some people may be getting a little uncomfortable. Whoa, what you saying, Brother Charles? You, all this talk about the Holy Spirit. But can, can I help us, may, maybe calibrate us a little bit? When Jesus is talking with the disciples, right, and John, and he's telling them, he's preparing them for the fact that he's going to leave them, he says, yeah, guys, I got to go. I, I have to leave you. But he says a couple of things, Pete. He says, look, but I'm not going to leave you alone. He says, and he actually goes on to say, he says, look, it's a good thing that I leave you because then the Holy Spirit can come, right? And so what I'm saying is is that, look, if Jesus, God the Son, the Savior, the Redeemer of our souls, right, the Prince of Peace, the Lily of the Valley, all all of those things, if he says that the the next, I'm using that, you know, next best thing to me being with you is the Holy Spirit who's going to come once I leave, then I think... We've got it wrong if we think we can kind of keep moving forward without the Holy Spirit. Understand what I'm saying? So let's get into this, right? Let's, 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 let's go ahead and walk through this. Now, I do want to do a little bit of, of, of reminder. Recall, right, that right before this account that we just read, <clears throat> Luke describes the continued formation of this community, and he says that this community is filled with the Holy Spirit, this is where we're getting to, right? And when we say filled with the Holy Spirit, I think sometimes what ends up happening is we all get these different images in our minds of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit based on what we've heard, maybe based on what we've seen, maybe even based on the, the church tradition that we grew up in. But, but to be clear, right, like I said before, if you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you have received the Holy Spirit full stop. Let me say that again, just to make sure no one is misunderstanding the point I'm trying to make here, is that if you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you have received the Holy Spirit full stop. Hmm. But having the Holy Spirit and being filled by the Holy Spirit are two different things. See, in the context of Scripture now, I'm not talking about what we've heard and maybe what we've seen or what somebody told you, your aunt, your uncle, your grandma, those kind of things. But in the context of Scripture, the word filled carries with it the idea of something being completely taken over. In other words, to be filled by the Holy Spirit means to be imbued, permeated, saturated, inspired, informed, and influenced by that Holy Spirit. This is why Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians in chapter 5, verse 8, we know this well. I don't think we always think about it in this way sometimes, but he tells them, look, don't get drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. Another way of saying it is is that, look, the same way that consuming a bunch of wine fills you up and then begins to make you act differently is the same way the Spirit can cause you to act differently if you're filled with Him. Mm-hmm. But, but, but how does one do that? It's, it's it's one of those things that is a it's a churchism. We say it, we, we know it. Right? But how does one do that? And you might be asking, and you might be thinking, and I think that Paul gives some indication to us in the parallel, in the comparison, and the contrast that he uses. Namely, Paul says that a person becomes permeated, becomes saturated, influenced by what they consume. Hmm. What one consumes, what one takes in will determine what they are controlled by. Mm-hmm. So can it help us out just a little bit? I want to speak very strongly and clearly on this point, because this point of Scripture, this portion of Scripture, like I said, everything that we've been talking about Sunday after Sunday, the whole book of Acts, the sum total of this Christian life hinges on this point, is that our talk, As a believer, our walk as a believer, our life, our testimony, our victory, our power, our strength, our perseverance, our fruitfulness, our impact is directly related to what we're influenced by. So this begs the question, what are you being controlled by? What are you consuming so much of? that it is influencing how you think. What are you consuming so much of that it's influencing how you act? It's influencing how you speak. It's influencing what you think is right, what you think is wrong, what you think is acceptable, what you think is cool, what you think is funny, what you think is admirable, what you think is beautiful, what you think is good, what you think is pure. I'm pushing on this because if we don't get this point, right here then we cannot get the text today we can't get any of this life that we're called to live until we get this if we don't understand that there is absolutely no way to walk in god's will to glorify jesus christ apart from being filled by the holy spirit apart from being controlled by the holy spirit apart from being influenced by the holy spirit then what are we doing? <laughs> Paul says this. He says to the Galatians. He says, I, 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 "I'm I'm perplexed. I, I can't get wrap my mind around that 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 was born of the Spirit. You're now going to perfect in the flesh." Basically, he's saying what we've been talking about. How is it that this salvation that you're shouting about, singing about, that's causing you to cry, that is brought about by the Holy Spirit, but when it comes to trying to now walk this life, you get to doing it in your own strength. Paul says, I I can't put the two together. How are you going to perfect something in the flesh that you couldn't bring about in the flesh? (laughs) How are you going to make better what the Spirit has started in you with the flesh. Hmm. And I hope now, right, that we are thinking, again, what must I do to be filled by the Holy Spirit, filled scripturally understood, controlled, permeated, saturated? Well, it starts out with prayer. It starts with repentance. It starts with brokenness before the throne of God. Oh, I know. I know that's not sexy. That's not fancy. that's not what we want in our contemporary hearing. We 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 don't like prayer. We don't like repentance. We don't like brokenness. It it sounds like my parents Christianity. Prayer, brokenness, repentance. Oh, that sounds like what my grandparents used to do in that old hot church on the desk, on that dirt road. You know what I'm saying? Charles, this is the 21st century. I need a program. I need, I need steps. I need a book series. I, I need workshops and, and worksheets. I, I, I need all of that. I don't have none of that for you. But I do have something because I think this is an interesting point. Uh, but, but like Jesus told the disciples when they couldn't cast out the demon in the Father's son, he says, look here, boys, this can only be accomplished by prayer. you understand the the, the logical fallacy here. We're saved by the Spirit. We we then say, yeah, you're right. I can't perfect that in the flesh. So how do I get filled, get permeated, be controlled? How do I yield to the Spirit? And what we want is a list of things I need to do in the flesh. Yeah, it's it's just a do loop. And it's a do loop that's killing us and the testimony of the church. And I think that's some of what we're supposed to see in the text is not so much just the doing and what they were doing and how they were doing, but the fact that they were filled with the Spirit. Here's another thing. Let me just kick over some stuff. Some of y'all think, yeah, you're right. Those apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit. Luke tells us that the whole community was filled with the Holy Spirit, not just the preachers. But the pew members, too. <laughs> Whoa, y'all not going to help me preach this thing. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So look, 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 look. I, I know, like I said, we want all those things. Uh, but we have to come the way of prayer and of repentance and of brokenness. Hear me when I say this. The reason we have to come the way of prayer, repentance, and brokenness is because it stands to reason. You don't have to be a a great seminary student or a theologian or a Bible scholar. You don't need to know Greek and Hebrew to arrive at this, that if we aren't being influenced by the Holy Spirit, then we're being influenced by something else. We're consuming something else. That's permeating our thinking, that's saturated our reasoning, that's influenced our being, our behavior. And if it's not the Holy Spirit, then we're standing in the wrong. And then you hear what I said we are standing in the wrong. And so if we call ourselves sons and daughters of God, co-heirs with Jesus Christ, but we have stuffed ourselves, we've indulged ourselves, we've made ourselves drunk with the things of this world, with its priorities, its perspectives, its philosophies, its traditions, its values, its practices, and we have not yielded ourselves. We have not submitted ourselves. We have not made ourselves low. We have not died to ourselves. We've not let go of those things that this world, world has told us to hang on to so that Christ can take hold of us, we have not presented ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service, then the only place that we can start is on our knees. Hmm. Now, we got 30 verses in this passage. Y'all still with me? And I've tried to break them into smaller buckets, each with a theme. And just for the benefit of those who may be watching uh, and maybe don't have handouts, uh, the buckets are as follows. Verses 12 through 16, we're going to be looking at the authority of the apostles. Verses 17 through 21, we're going to look at the arrest of the apostles. Verse 21, uh, the second part of 21 all the way through 26 is the confusion of the council. Verses 27 and 28 is the council's question. Verses 29 and 32, the apostles answer. Verses 33 through 40, the council receives counsel. Verse 41 and 42, rejected but rejoicing. Look, y'all see that alliteration? You know how long it came to get that list and all those letters to sound alike and be the son? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, goodness. Let's get into it. In verse 12, right, Luke tells the apostles look, uh, he tells us that these apostles are performing many signs and many wonders among the people, and this is being done regularly. That's what he says. Regularly they were performing these signs and wonders. He tells us that the sick and the demon-possessed are being brought to him from all over, and that they are being healed. So much so, this was happening on the regular, so much so, and people were being healed so much that people had even begun to assign power to Peter's shadow. Hmm. But I think it's important to note that while Peter while people may have wanted Peter's shadow to fall on them there's no indication that they were healed by that or that Peter himself was advocating that was promoting that and I think it's important to point this out because we have a tendency your tendency, my tendency is to assign glory and to even idolize the vessels of God's power instead of focusing on God. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about this, but it bears mentioning again that these signs and these wonders that the apostles were performing served to Validate the apostles' message about who Jesus is, namely that he is the Son of God who died for the sins of the world, who arose from the dead, and then ascended into heaven. Now, Luke also mentions that the apostles were all together in Solomon's portico. And this little detail, right, these are things that we kind of look and we read and we say, okay, yeah, that's interesting, little tidbit. But I think it's meant to remind us of two things, at least two things. The first thing I think it's meant to remind us of is that back in chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit first comes upon the apostles, Luke tells us that they were what? All together, in one place. And Understanding that they were all together in Solomon's portico, I believe it also reminds us that it actually, John 11 verse 23, it's actually in Solomon's portico where Jesus himself is being questioned about whether or not he is the Christ. And now here we see these spirit-filled apostles standing all together as one in Solomon's portico declaring Jesus as the Christ. Now, we're told in verse 13 that none of the rest dared to join them, but but the people held them in high esteem. And there are some different opinions on who exactly the rest are. Maybe the rest are other believers who, right, were afraid to stand in Solomon's portico because, remember, just in chapter 4, folks was getting arrested and, 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 and told, hey, don't be doing this in the temple. What Or maybe it's some folks that are watching and they heard about what happened to Ananias and Sapphira and they said, you know what? This Christianity thing is a serious issue. You don't play around with this new... This isn't the fad of the month. This isn't the new thing and just everybody's trying it because folks are falling dead. Huh. If they're lightly moving in this direction. In either case, though... What we're told, right, is that people, presumably those not necessarily a part of the church, held the apostles in high esteem and that believers were being added to the Lord. Get that. Look at your text. It says that believers were added to the Lord. And I love that distinction that's being made because these aren't pew members, so to speak, right? These aren't people being added to an organization. These aren't folks who are transferring their membership from the first Baptist church of Jerusalem to the second Baptist church of Jerusalem. But these people are being added to the Lord. Not to a building, not to a denomination, but to the body of Christ. And this brings me to my very first takeaway And that is that the filling of the Holy Spirit and his power displayed in our lives is meant to serve only one purpose. And that is to point to Jesus, to validate him as the Christ, and to encourage others to place their trust in him. We are not to be filled with the Spirit in order to impress others. We're not filled with the Spirit to elevate ourselves. We're not filled with the Spirit so we can sell some trinket online late at night. We're not filled with the Spirit so we can sound highfalutin when we start talking and touching and preaching and praying. But we're filled with the Spirit so that through us, God would be magnified, Christ would be glorified as people are added to the body of Christ. So let's keep this moving. In verses 12 through 16, we've got miracles and respect of the people and folks being saved. But then verse 17 opens up with a but. (sighs) As Luke sets us up for the contrast, as he begins to get us ready for the tension that's in the text, while literally, get this, a revival is happening in Solomon's portico. The scene then shifts to the high priest and to the Sadducees, and right away Luke reveals what is motivating them as he describes them as being filled with jealousy. And the contrast cannot be lost on us. On one hand, you have the apostles filled with the Holy Spirit, And on the other hand, you have the Sadducees filled with jealousy, being imbued, being permeated, being saturated, being inspired and informed and influenced by their jealousy. And as a result, what do they do? They arrest the apostles and throw them in prison. But during the night, an angel comes and sets them free. And I love that image of them being in prison and this angel coming to set them free. Because Luke doesn't say, right, that this angel came with great power. There was no great rumbling of the ground and an earthquake that shook everything. There's no bright light that blinds everything and a loud, thunderous noise. But it says that this angel simply opened the door. and let the apostles out. And then the angel was polite because it says, and then closed it back. (laughs) But I love this, right? And I think part of the reason that there's not a lot of fanfare about the miraculous, right, is because the miraculous is really just a means towards something. Because when the angel opens the door, lets the apostles out, and closes it. He doesn't say, now, everybody, jump on me, and I'm going to fly you to safety. He doesn't say, everybody, let's hold hands and think of, of a safe place, and let's blink there real quick and get you out of this danger. Could you imagine an angel of the Lord coming, delivering you out of your situation? And then he says, Brother Charles, I want you to go right back to what you were doing that got you into this situation. That lets me know there's work to be done, that our comfort is not of a priority, but the proclaiming of the gospel is what is important. And he doesn't just say, now go on back up there and keep doing what you were doing, but he gives them very specific instructions. Pete, he says, look, go back to the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Oh, my goodness. I could preach just on that alone. Hmm. But get this. Despite what had happened to them, the message didn't become about them. Despite what they had been through, the message still was about Christ. They didn't go back to Solomon's portico and start talking about how poorly they had been treated, how their rights were violated, how the system was cracking down on them, how folks needed to mobilize and be ready to fight because they're coming for you next. No, they went back and continued to preach about Jesus as the Christ. Too many of us. Turn the opportunity to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ into an opportunity to proclaim the gospel of my experience, the gospel of my emotions, the gospel of my grievances. And instead of using the platform to reach those who are desperately needing to hear about a God who saves through his son, Jesus Christ, we tell them about how I was treated badly and what they did to me, and oh, how it's all because of this and all because of that. Well, what's your strength coming from? Well, you know, I just dug down deep in myself, and I just knew if I believed in myself. What? The gospel of Jesus Christ is not a platform upon which we take center stage. Oh, you came to hear about Jesus? I got it from here, Lord. Let me tell you my story. And if you're not paying attention, I'm selling books out in the foyer. There are some folks in pulpits, in choir stands, on television, online, and in books who have co-opted Christ into a means to fulfill their desires and their purposes. But the angel tells the apostles to go back to the temple and speak all the words of this life, not your life, but this new life in Christ. And the angel is clear. That as it pertains to Christ, they are to speak all of the words. They are to leave nothing out. And that point brings me to my second takeaway. And that is that when we've experienced or when we're threatened with some level of retaliation or persecution or some type of negative consequence for our testimony of Jesus Christ, we might be hesitant to speak about Jesus. And may even be tempted to tweak the gospel psalm. edit it to make it a little bit more seeker-sensitive and, and friendly to folks who are listening for the first time. We don't want to offend, and, and you can draw more, all that kind of stuff. And look, 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 uh, and, and this is not hypothetical or, or theoretical scenario of, of experiencing some type of threat or persecution because for a number of Christians in the world— You do know that there's other Christians in the world, right? I just want to make sure you don't think America is the only. Y'all quiet. Do you know there's other Christians in the world? Let me help you out. Do you know that other nations where Christians are, are prepping missionaries to come here? Because they're looking out and saying they need to hear the gospel. Well, I need about three four Sundays. <laughs> there are some places where Christians speaking any words of the gospel, not to mention all the words of the gospel, could cost them their lives. But in our context, while there is no comparison, To what others are facing throughout the world we have seen we are seeing and will continue to see a growing intolerance of and an attempt to silence the uh, the message of this life the words of this life now hear what i said not of your life Not the gospel of your grievances, not the gospel of your emotions, not the gospel of your political persuasion, not the gospel of your ethnic background, not the, you see what I'm saying? But the message of this life. And the message of the angel to the apostles over 2,000 years ago, it rings just as true today as it did then. We cannot be afraid to stand and speak all the words of this life, we would all do well to spend some time reflecting on this verse and asking ourselves, asking God to show us, actually, that's a better thing, asking God to show us, in what ways have I edited the gospel? Now, Luke continues in verse 21 to tell us that while the apostles were back in the temple preaching Jesus, I love that. They've been set free. they back getting it in at the temple just like the angel told them. The high priest, the rulers, and the elders had gathered together after presumably a good night's rest and sent for the apostles from the prison. But, of course, the officers they sent found the prison empty. The door closed. That's how I know the angel was polite because when he got there, he's like, Hey, the prison's empty, but the door is closed. The guard is still there. The guard thought he was still guarding somebody, but the, the prison is empty. So he gets back, right, and he says, look, uh, guys, uh, the the guys you put in there, the apostles, they're gone. Uh, And and the, the prison was securely locked. The guards were standing there, but they weren't inside the prison. It was empty. And at this news, Luke says that the council is greatly perplexed. They were at a loss. They were confused. They couldn't believe their ears were, they couldn't believe what their ears were hearing. And Luke uses the same wording and phrasing that he used in Acts chapter 2 when he describes the response of the people as they heard the spirit-filled disciples speaking in their native languages. Just like those folks were confused at what was going on, the council is confused at what's going on right now. And now, faced with this empty prison, the council is not only confused about this situation and this scenario, but they are also worried. The text says that they are wondering, what's going to come of this? As a result of them not being in prison, what's going to be the next shoe to fall? And I can't help but wonder, a little bit just in my sanctified imagination, this isn't canon, so don't go home talking about this is exactly what happened, but I, I can't help but wonder if some of the council said to themselves, man, this is... Sounds eerily similar to what happened just a couple of weeks ago when we had an empty tomb and some guards who didn't know what happened. Uh, and all we know what that led to there's 3,000 new folks claiming the name of Jesus Christ, and now we have an empty prison. What is this going to lead to? And while the council is collectively scratching their heads, someone comes in and says, well, if you're wondering where those guys are uh, they, that you put in prison the other day, they're back in the temple doing what you told them not to do. <laughs> oh, this is good stuff. So the officers go, and they bring them to the council. They, they interrupt the sermon, and they say, come on, guys, uh, like they've got some authority. We put you in jail last night, somehow you guys got out, but we got you now. Come on back to the council, uh, because we've got to ask you some question. But Scripture tells us, Luke tells us, they don't use force. And at first glance, it's like, "Oh, the council is so polite and so kind. But it's not because they want to be respectful. And it's not because something miraculous just happened. I mean, after all, the report is the prison is empty. The guard thought they were in there. The door is still locked, but they're in the temple preaching. Hmm. It's not because they want to understand better what just happened here, guys. But they don't want to take them by force because they are afraid of the people. Remember earlier, Luke tells us that the apostles were held in high esteem. I like that. Hmm. And that the people regarded them well. The council was afraid, just to put it in our today language, that if they laid hands on the apostles, the crowd was going to lay hands on them. That's what it said. He said they were afraid they were going to get stoned. This brings me to my third uh, takeaway, and that is that when the Holy Spirit is working in you and through you, it's going to mess with some people around you. Yeah, yeah, when he starts changing how you talk, some people are going to be confused. You don't sound like you used to sound. When when he he starts changing how you walk, right, some folks are going to be perplexed. Come, you're not walking in lockstep with me like we used to. We used to do this two-step together, and I would zig, and you would zag, and now you don't want to do either. Hmm. When he starts moving you through seasons that should have taken you out, somebody is going to be at a loss. How is it that you aren't somewhere locked up just losing your mind based on what just happened? But you don't need to lose any sleep on the confusion of the crowd. Hmm. Let me push this even further. You, you, You don't need to post anything on social media about your haters. You, you, you don't need to post anything about, uh, wait, do they get a load of me? God is doing a work. and what, you, don't need, you don't need to do any of that stuff. That's the gospel of my emotions. That's the gospel of my grievances. All those who spoke ill about me, thou shalt not touch the Lord's anointing. Leave all that stuff. You just need to keep doing what the Holy Spirit is equipping you to do. You just keep talking in the Spirit. You just keep walking in the Spirit. You just keep moving in the Spirit and leave to God the rest. If God wants to heap some hot coals on someone's head, he doesn't need you. Here you go, God. When the apostles get in front of the council, the line of questioning from the council gives us some insight into how they're thinking. Watch this. This is interesting. This is interesting. The first thing they say is like, we strictly charged you. Stop right there. That lets me know that the council thought that their positions of power and authority could influence the apostles. They didn't know the apostles were being influenced by something else. Oh, come on, link this together. The Holy Spirit is at the key and at the heart of all of this, he, the, 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 the council says, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Even though they didn't fully understand it or accept it, they knew that there was some power in the name of Jesus. Listen at this. I did some looking up on the Google machine. <laughs> Because I wanted to know. I was like, man, what is going on? Because they say, look, this, this is, there's something happening here. There, there, there's power in the name of Jesus. Do you know that during this time, at least they estimate, there was somewhere between 50,000 to 70,000 people in Jerusalem. In one day of Peter's preaching, 3,000 folks accepted Christ. And what Luke tells us is that Numbers were being added daily. So, so and, and this is just, remember, we also said that when we, when we come to the beginning of Acts and the Passover, we're talking about maybe 40 to 50 days since the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. So, two months, the council couldn't understand what was going on, but they could see there's, there's something is happening here. There's power in this name of Jesus. Oh, you've almost got 10% of the city of Jerusalem, and we ain't even got three months out from the crucifixion yet. They go on to say, look, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. In other words, this stuff is gaining traction, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. They knew full well the part they had played in Jesus' death, and their consciences were being seared. They were being pricked. And every time they stood and spoke all of the words of the message, they were reminded, yeah, that's what we did. What is, Je- what is Peter's favorite phrase in his sermon? This Jesus that you crucified. God raised up. This, Jesus, that you hung on a tree, God exalted. And they said, stop saying that. (laughs) Stop telling the folk. (laughs) You got to see this. So the council gets done with their question, and I like the apostles' answer because they they were concerned, at least the council was concerned with authority. They were concerned with power. They were concerned with impact in the city, and they were concerned with accountability. They didn't want to be the ones to blame, and the apostles' answer actually addresses each one of these. First, Peter, and, I don't, and, I, and look, this is just a, a, a side note because I, I don't even understand how this can happen because it says Peter and the apostles answered. I, I don't know what that means, right? Uh, does that just mean Peter spoke for everybody? Does it mean that he gave an answer and they all chimed in? Does it mean they were speaking in unison? I, I don't know, but I love the idea that they're all standing there ready to give an account. And it says that Peter answered, first, we must obey God. He didn't say, why did you yank us out of sermon? We were just about to collect an offering. Why did you come interrupt? Don't you know it's separation of church and state? No, no, he says, we must obey God. The council's authority is not greater than God's authority. Peter gets on. He says, look, God raised Jesus like we just him, whom you killed. In other words, council, there's no escaping your role in this. You are, listen at this, you are guilty of putting to death God's anointed one. (laughs) Peter goes on to say, God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior. You're wondering why there seems to be power in Jesus' name. Well, it's because he has been given power. What kind of power? To do magic tricks, to to part the sky, to part the... what, What is it that he's doing? No, to bring people to repentance and to forgiveness of sins. This is what's drawing people. Jesus said that if I be lifted up, your programs will draw all men unto me. If I be lifted up, your your, your online presence will draw all men. No, if I be lifted up, your little coffee clatch out there will draw all men. Un- no, if I be lifted up, Jesus says, I will draw all men unto me. Mm-hmm. I like this last thing. He says, and, and we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. This teaching, Paul, Peter says, and the apostle says, is gaining traction because we're sharing with the people not what we've heard, but what we've seen, and the Holy Spirit is validating our testimony in the hearts of the people. Hmm. This brings me to my fourth takeaway, and that is, as believers, we often are operating in circles and in environments filled with those who don't recognize the authority of God, who don't understand the power that God has placed in the name of Jesus and whose consciences are convicted by the gospel. And in these places, if and when we are confronted, instead of us being offended or threatened, it's interesting that Peter and the apostles did not take any time to address what had happened to them. They spent no time asking the council, where do you get off throwing us in jail? How could you do that to us? You hurt my feelings, you grabbed me kind of hard when you No, he didn't. think we must obey God. that when we are confronted in those, instead of us being offended or threatened or shrinking away in fear, we should double down, just like the apostles did, on the authority of God, on the power of repentance and forgiveness in the name of Jesus, and on the confidence that the Holy Spirit gives that these things are true. Hmm. So basically... The apostles just refuted everything implied by the council's questions point by point, not being snarky, not being disrespectful. They didn't make a big scene about it, but they also didn't back down. They didn't compromise. They didn't deny the truth. They spoke all the words of this life, even in the face of opposition. And this made the council so angry, Murph, that they wanted to kill them. But one of them, a Pharisee named Gamaliel said, hold up, hold up, hold up, guys, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Hold up. Let's, let's take the apostles out so we can talk in private. Uh, and he addresses the council privately. Now, this is just a little Bible nerd footnote here because you might be wondering, if you're reading closely, you'd be like, well, wait a minute. Luke is writing about this account. The apostles are told to leave. And there's this private conversation that's happening within the council that Luke actually records. How is Luke privy to this information? Well, I read ahead. (laughs) And in Acts 22, we find out that Gamaliel had a student named Saul hmm, of Tarsus. And, 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 And it's likely that Paul, it says that Paul was educated at the feet of Gamaliel. So it's very likely that in this private meeting was a pre-converted Saul slash Paul who was hearing all of this, witnessing all of this, conspiring with everybody. When it says they were filled with jealousy, yeah, he was filled with it too. And that it's very likely that Paul is the one who build Luke in on what the council talked about when Gamaliel told the apostles to step out. Close a little interesting footnote. If you're playing Trivia Pursuit, you can impress your friends with that. So Gamaliel says in this private meeting, he says, look, guys, before we do something drastic, let's consider a couple of things. We've actually seen stuff like this before. And he reminds them of those two different leaders, Thutis and Judas, uh, who Gamaliel says, right, uh, they claim to be somebody. And yes, they had some followers as well that caused a little bit of a dust up and a stir in the city. But once those leaders had been killed, the movements died out. So, guys, we shouldn't do anything. Let's let this thing just kind of run its course because if it's of men, it's going to fizzle out and die anyway. But if it's of God, then we won't be able to stop it. And the council seems to be convinced by Gamaliel's argument. And he brings, they bring the apostles back in and they say, uh, and, and they tell them, or at least they don't tell them, but I say that it seems that they were convinced because when they bring the apostles in, Gamaliel said, guys, let's leave these apostles alone. The council said, that's a good point. Bring them back in. And it says that they didn't kill them, but they beat them, which is interesting. That's how you know. They were filled with jealousy. They were being controlled by something else. They were being influenced by something else. And and, and this word beat in the Greek, it carries with it the idea of flaying or peeling of skin. So this wasn't just being smacked around. This wasn't just getting hit or punched, but the apostles likely were beat with a leather whip that had been split into separate cords. You've seen pictures of it, and it had little bits of metal and rock and bone tied along the length of it, not just so that when those things would hit, it would whip, it would bruise and cause whelps, but it would grab into the skin and tear it as it was pulled away. This is the same type of beating that Jesus received leading up to his crucifixion. And it is after, (laughs) wrap your minds around this, after receiving this treatment, it is after having this experience that the apostles leave the council rejoicing. And this isn't some lukewarm expression of appreciation. It carries with it exceedingly glad. 39 lashes with 40 minus 1 of a whip grabbing and tearing your skin. I couldn't imagine being the first one or the last one watching and knowing it was going to be your turn soon. But when it finished, they left rejoicing exceedingly glad, but what were they rejoicing over? Was it that they escaped death? Guys, we were about to be killed, but whoo, we just got away with some whips. Was it because they stuck it to the man? Did you see how we told the council off? They didn't know what to do with us. Was it that they spoke truth to power, shook their fist in the face of the council? Nah, we're going to do what we want to do, Council. That's not why they left exceedingly glad. It had nothing to do with any of those things, but they were rejoicing because they had been counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. Yeah, this is a good thing. This is where I'm about to end. Let's just be honest. The notion or the idea that we would be exceedingly glad that we had just had the skin peeled from our backs because of our faith in Jesus, it doesn't even compute with us. Don't get me wrong, and look, and I'm not trying to be all oh, the Charles, I was supporting. Look, I know we clap and we like, ooh, woo, woo, but let's just be honest. Some of you are, are feeling a kind of way because it's a little too warm in here right now, let alone someone telling you, you're about to get 39 lashes. We can't make it make sense. I, I know some of us are thinking, I love my Jesus. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. There's no limit to how far I'm willing to go for my Jesus. I love you so much, Jesus, how much you'll never know. But look, look and you may even be thinking, an elder, you don't know me. Don't project your stuff on me. <laughs> but I do know you, and I know you because I know me. And I know the same blood covers all of us. And I know that if we struggle with or find it hard to just simply bow our heads and bless our food when we're out to lunch with others because of what others might think, or on Monday when people ask you how your weekend was, you somehow, someway just omit completely the time you spent because you you don't know, it it makes you sound weird and you just don't want people to think that you're funny. You you don't want to make others uncomfortable. I, I know that if we'll do that, then we're not going to be willing to go through getting whipped until our backs are ripped and raw, let alone rejoice over it. See, the problem is, is that you and I are overly concerned with our own comfort. with preserving and protecting our own well-being, with being liked and being accepted by others. But these apostles understood that the salvation of others was more important than the suffering they might endure. Nobody in here, not today, July 23rd, 2023, is under threat of being whipped for their testimony of Jesus Christ, but yet and still. Additionally, the apostles had just had a really tangible example of their unworthiness. Because you see, when Jesus was arrested to be beaten and crucified, they ran, they hid, they denied him, they deserted him, and he ultimately had to face all of that by himself. Now, don't get me wrong, God's plan of, of divine redemption is his plan of divine redemption. but Their choice in the moment was their choice in the moment. Jesus returned to them. He forgave them. He restored them. Peter, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Then feed Sheep. He restores them, he empowers them. And even though just a couple of weeks ago they were running scared and afraid of being associated with Jesus, here they are now standing boldly, unwavering, unafraid, and unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and even more determined to continue preaching and teaching that Jesus is the Christ. And this brings me to my final takeaway. And that is, as believers, we cannot downplay or deny Christ just to maintain our own comfort. We cannot turn our back on him on his commandments because we don't want to lose friends because we don't want to be viewed negatively because we don't want to be seen as uh, because we only want to be seen as one of the guys because we want to be known as a team player because we don't want to be canceled or by the culture or we don't want to be labeled as narrow minded and intolerant we don't want to be called backwards or delusional we 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 don't want to lose these creature comforts And because we don't want to be uncomfortable, people are lost to hell. Instead, we must understand that coming to Christ is about more than me being blessed and going to heaven. But when we align ourselves with Christ, we by default are in misalignment with the world. Automatically. There is no straddling of the fence. I can't have it both ways. I can't be Christ uh, born again and a friend of the world. Charles, that seems awfully harsh. Jesus said either you will love one or hate the other. You can't serve two masters. And that is going to create conflict by default. And if we're more concerned with preserving our positions than we are with proclaiming Christ, we will never be the witness in this world, the salt and the light that we are called to be. We'll never be able to do any of this. Any of that we've talked about, any that we've seen the apostles do if we aren't filled with the Holy Spirit. We cannot do this in the flesh because the flesh wants to preserve itself. The flesh will always let go when it gets too hot, when it gets uncomfortable. But the Holy Spirit wants only to glorify Christ. In conclusion, believers today can never hope to attain the level of power, the level of boldness, the effectiveness, the faith, the courage, the determination, or the perseverance that we see in the apostles unless we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Unless we are permeated by Him, saturated by Him, influenced by Him, controlled by Him. Studying this New Testament church in Acts is a moot point if we skip by They were filled with the Holy Spirit. You've been listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast, and we trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at solidword.org. Thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you next week.